Wonderful to see all of you here this morning. Go ahead and be turning to Hebrews chapter 10, please. We'll be reading passages uh, from this good chapter this morning. We live in a changing world. As I get older, I see the world changing around me. I know many of you are experiencing the same, and it's difficult to keep up. As the world progresses, as things change, it can be a bit unnerving. And we all know what sort of stress change brings about. Just the normal change that occurs, but also what's been brought about by COVID. It has been stressful for many of us. And it's hard sometimes to put in perspective how quickly things do change. Well, I've got an illustration for you this morning. I hope that we'll Put it in perspective because, you know, through our aging, through the natural process of life, we do see and understand change. But to help you grasp it just a little bit more, uh, I've got an illustration up here, just some statistics. The top 10 in-demand jobs in 2010 did not exist in 2004. That means that at that time, and even today, we are preparing students for jobs that don't yet exist to use technologies that haven't been invented in order to solve problems we don't know about yet. One out of eight couples in the U.S. who married last year met online. There are 845 million active Facebook users. If Facebook were a country, it would be the third largest behind China and India. Twitter has 50 million tweets per day or 600 per second. It took 38 years for radio to reach 50 million people. In other words, when the radio became commercially available, people started putting it in their homes. It took 38 years for it to reach 50 million people. Now let's have some comparisons of that. It took 13 years for TV to reach that amount, four years for the internet to reach 50 million, three years for the iPod, you'll still remember the iPod, to reach 50 million people, and then two years for Facebook to reach that amount. There are 540,000 words in the English language, about five times as many as what Shakespeare had to work with. It is estimated that a week's worth of the New York Times contains more information than a person was likely to come across in a lifetime in the 18th century. This year it is estimated that four exabytes, I don't know what that is, but it's a lot, four exabytes of unique information will be generated this year. This is more than the previous 5,000 years. <clears throat> The amount of new technical information is doubling every two years. This means that for students starting a four-year technical degree, that half of what they learn in their first year of study will be outdated by their third year of study. And this information is already five years old. Who knows how it's going about right now, but this kind of helps put in perspective. It gives some, some meat to the fact that things change, that things progress, that you go to sleep one night, you wake up the next morning, something's different. And it can be 
a bit unnerving. Change happens. The question is, how do we react to it? How do we address it personally on a personal spiritual level? What do we do with all this change that comes in and just simply bombards us? There was a time when trends took a while to reach us over here in the South. If something became trendy in California, what well, would have to catch on there? It would have to be on television, and then it would have to make it across the airwaves to here, and that's how trends occurred. You know how I found out about lockdowns that, er that came about early on uh, in the pandemic? I follow Arnold Schwarzenegger on Instagram. He was sitting at his breakfast nook feeding his baby horse and his baby donkey. Stay home, please stay home, he was telling me. Information travels rapidly. If there's a restaurant in Seattle that somebody doesn't like, they'll put that out there for all of their millions of followers. And they know about it instantaneously. The negative, that's kind of, you know, either way, those statistics, but the negative of all this is you borrow on other people's trauma that they experience. Something that goes on a world away, which in the overall scheme of things might not matter to you individually, you actually borrow on that trauma. You borrow on that change, even though it has nothing to do with you. And it adds to the stressful life that you already endure. So what do you do? Turn off the TV, number one. Turn off a few other things as well. But we, 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 we desire stability. We want something so bad that doesn't change, that doesn't move. We're going to look at that this morning and see what we can do about all this change. Hebrews chapter 10. The letter to the Hebrews was written to newly converted Christians, many of whom were probably baptized in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, excited about their, about their new life. Well, that change, I'm sure, brought about some struggles. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, For the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never be the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Here Paul, or whoever the Hebrew writer was, was telling these new Christians, look, you, you did away with these old ways of life. And he's using imagery that they're familiar with. The yearly sacrifices, the annual sacrifices that you made, they could not do what Christ could do. In verses 19 through 20, he used other things that they are familiar with. He talks about the holy place he talks about the veil separated from the holiest, from the, from the other people that was there. And so he's trying to help them and encourage them during this difficult time of change. Because many, most likely, dealing with discouragement, had to, you know, perhaps leave their families. You're, you're following that Jesus? What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing, Paul? What do you think you're doing, Jacob? What are you doing following this, this Christ, this Christian? But some people knew they had to do it. Some people followed what the disciples were teaching. And so they probably left their families, they left their friends, 
and started this new life, this new life that had so much change in it. And here the Hebrew writer is trying to bridge a gap from what they knew and understood through the change to, hey, this is better. Okay, this change is better. And he's trying to reach out to them with that fact. Let's look at verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10. It says this in the first part of the passage, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Let me read that again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The heading there at the top of verse 19 says a new and living way. There's a new way that people are going to live. There's a new way that, that people are going to act spiritually. And he's telling the Hebrew Christians here, let us hold fast that confession without wavering. We're struggling today, many of us. Are you wavering? Are you teetering back and forth like a tree in the wind like a tree that's going to go one way or the other until it finally snaps a lot of times people who are wavering turn to something they're familiar with and all too often this might be some sort of addiction some sort of bad habit and they'll turn to that why because they're familiar with it it was comforting at one time it's going to be comforting again and they're not holding fast to the confession that Paul talks about here in Hebrews chapter 10. For the Hebrews, it was just easier for them to go back to their old way of life. This is too difficult. You know, it was one thing for my mother-in-law to tell me, ask me what I'm doing, but now I've got these Romans coming after me. Now I've got these, these other people who want me dead. You know, I'm just not so sure I can do this anymore. And Paul's trying to encourage them, don't waver. Hold fast to that confession. Remember what you said in Jerusalem. Whenever Peter was up there talking, whenever he was preaching the first gospel sermon, remember what you said that you would do, that you would obey Jesus Christ. I, I don't know about this, though. though I, I don't know. I don't think I can hold on to it. Well, it's starting to get difficult for them. And they're starting to waver. And Paul's trying to encourage them here. Hold on to your confession. Hold fast to what you said that you would do for Him. Next part of verse 23 says this, For he who promised is faithful. When difficulties arise, you are being tried. And there is someone there who is, who is looking down at you saying, Keep on with it. Keep on with it. When changes occur, when changes are difficult, you know, Paul, the writer, says, hold on to your confession. And you say, well, I'm just ready to let go. But the writer here says, guess what? He who promised is faithful. You're trying to grab onto something perhaps that's not faithful for you. Be it an addiction, be it an old habit, whatever it might be for you. Turning away from Christ, just doing, just doing what's easier you know what's easier for a lot of people? Laying in bed all day. But it's not good for them. It's not good for you to separate yourself from people that love you, from, from healthy habits, from spiritual discipline. And here it says, He who promised is faithful. He's going to stick it out with you. When difficulties arise, you are being tried. And perhaps it's just the natural course of life, such as the recent passings. 
that the Wiseman family, the Luna family, has experienced recently. These are things that are trying to people. And a lot of times people will look up and ask God, you know, why is it that this is happening to us? And remember, the world is a, is a difficult place to have to endure with all of its changes, with all of its trials. But remember that God is faithful. We have the strange idea that God is faithful, so everything should be, you know, easy. Everything should be on easy street. And when things get bad, we often question God. But well, the way we should be is when you trust in Him, regardless of what happens, you know that you're going to be okay. There were some Hebrew Christians who, I'm sure, as has always been the case, who left the faith, who said, you know, I, I've had enough of this. I, I can't endure this anymore. Even though I know God is faithful, I can't keep on keeping on. I'm just going to go back to my old way of life, despite what's being said. But I'm sure there were others who said, the more you threaten me, the more you come after me, the harder my faith will grow, and deeper it will grow in my Heavenly Father. Because He is faithful. He's promised me eternal life. Nobody else has done that. Nobody else on this earth has promised you eternal life. Nobody else on this earth can promise you a better life on this planet. Nobody else can do that. They'll, they'll, they'll say it is, but you know, when you find yourself in the gutter, when you find yourself beaten down and realize, you know what, I should have, should have stayed with Jesus. Should have held on with Him because He is the one who is faithful. 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore those also who suffer, you're going to suffer, Christian. Let's, let's accept that. Those also who suffer according to the will of God are to entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. But sometimes we don't give our souls to Him, we give it to things in this world, and we forget that He is faithful, and He is who we should depend on. That's what Paul is trying to convey here to the Hebrews. You know, hold fast to that confession, because He is faithful who promised. Christ is also faithful. He became like us. There's so many people out in the world that are, that are saying, Oh, I'm like you. I, you know, I'm not so sure about that. But we read in Hebrews chapter 2 that Christ became like us. And that's something we should rest assured in. You know, He's not you know, the armchair quarterback, as we might say. But rather, He's looking down on us knowing what we have gone through. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, He had to be... He had to be made like His brethren in all things, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. God knew that Jesus had to come to the earth so that He knew what it was like. So whenever He preached the Sermon on the Mount, so that whenever He did those difficult things, He would know what it was like. And whenever He looked down on you, losing a loved one, having difficulties at school, going through the trials you're going through, because let's not forget, you know, Jesus, Jesus was a child. Jesus was a teenager. Jesus was a, a working adult who became something great for the world. But here the writer is saying Christ became what He did so that He could be merciful, so that He could understand what you're going through. For since He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered... He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And that's the kind of Savior I want. Somebody who's been where I am, somebody who's had difficulties and who's had struggles, 
Because let's face it, when you're talking to somebody about problems you have and, and they can't empathize and you don't feel a connection with that person, it's hard for you to listen to them, isn't it? It's hard for you to, to listen to what they're going through because they've not been anywhere close to what, you, what, what you've gone through and it's difficult to take on that advice. But Christ is faithful. He became like us. He's very faithful. He traded a home in heaven to come down here. That's a big sacrifice. And He will strengthen us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. A lot of people waver in their faith because they don't look to the strength of Jesus Christ. They don't look to His wisdom. They rely on themselves. They've not, they've not given up self enough yet. They say, oh, I can do it. I, I, can, I can take on anything. You can, but you've got to have Christ on your side. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, The Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing, and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. People depend on so many other things, they forget that Christ is like us. They forget that His wisdom, that His love strengthens and protects us. They forget about those things. And life just keeps getting harder and harder. Job and others who suffered difficulties in Scripture, what did they do? They relied on God for their strength. And they got through it. So many people who don't have Christ today, they just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into a spiritual hole that they can barely get out of themselves. Well, the payoff here of a faithful Christ, is that He will come and get us again someday and take us to that sweet rest, take us to that home in heaven so that we might be with Him. So let's do these things. The Hebrews were, were wavering, they were struggling. And the writer here says, let's hold on to our confession and let's depend on the one who is faithful. Let's hold on, let's depend on the one who is faithful. And he's going to say, let's consider something else. Let's consider something else. As we hold on to that confession we made long ago, as we remember the one who is faithful, let's consider some other things. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 says this, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Hold on. Remember the one who is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We, when we struggle, sometimes we can turn on one another. When the outside is just bearing down upon us, makes us anxious, makes us stressful, makes us nervous, makes us angry. And so we start to turn on those that are, around, that are around us, kind of go into a panic mode. If you've ever seen crabs in a bucket, in a five-gallon bucket, they're trying to climb out, and as one gets further and further up, the other one will grab it and pull it down. They're panicking. They're trying to get out of this bucket, and they just can't do it. We, when we're going through difficult times, might blame one another. You're the reason this happened, or, or you're part of my problem, and we start looking to each other and start hurting one another because we have this hurt that's going on inside. And one of the things that I know for certain, hurting people hurt people. If you're going through a difficult time and you are hurting about something, 
Be careful not to hurt those around you, but rather focus on the issue at hand. If you are one who is being hurt by someone, if you're the, the, the victim of, of their pain because they're hurting, keep that in mind as well. Be patient with them because maybe they need somebody to talk to. Maybe they, maybe they need some encouragement. Maybe they need to remember not to waver from their true faith. But when people lash out at others, it's because they themselves are hurting. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 3 says that the foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. And that's what we do when we're hurting quite often is that we become foolish. A lot of times when we do foolish things, we, we look back and say, well, I didn't want any of this disaster to happen. I didn't want any of this to go on, but it did. But it did because you raged against the Lord. Your heart raged against Him. It raged against good sense because you were hurting. Because you left the one who's faithful. Because you did not hold fast to that confession that you made. You began possibly acting like a foolish person. Someone who's leaving disasters in his or her wake. But let's consider what the writer here is trying to say in verse 24. He says here, Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Faith and hope can be practiced by oneself. I have a faith that can be practiced. I have hope that can be practiced on its own. When Paul was, was in prison, you know, he could practice his faith. He could have hope that he would be rescued. But quite often, love is something that must be practiced within a community within a congregation. And that's why we have the different ministries that we do, our, our youth ministry, our family ministry, where we work to you know, help our adults. We had our marriage seminar a few weeks ago, where we have our gentlemen working to be good examples to help our boys learning to be men. And our older ladies helping our, our young ladies learning to be good Christian ladies as well so that they might grow up and, and raise those families that are instructed of in the New Testament. We've got to, when we do that, that's got to be done in a community where we can encourage one another. Some of your translations may say, let us stir up one another. Not stir up strife, which is how that word is also used sometimes. Not stir up contention with one another. But may my presence here, your presence here, may we encourage one another to do those good things because so much comes from us being together. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says, the last part of this passage here in Hebrews chapter 10, as the writer reminds the people to hold fast to their confession. Remember the one who is faithful. And let us, let us work with one another and let us encourage one another to those love and good deeds. And he says in verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I know we have been, in essence, scattered in some ways. And those of us that are here, I'm so glad you're here. But there are many online who are watching as well. And I'm glad you're there because you can also be an encouragement. Even though you're not present within this building, I know you're there and God knows you're there. But despite the fact that we are in a new era right now, we can still encourage one another, be here for one another, both physically 
and emotionally as we have our relationships with each other. Because as things change, wherever we might find us in the coming days, months, and years, we can hold fast to that confession that we have. We can be faithful to the one who is faithful, and we can encourage one another. As we look around and see people faltering, as we see people wavering, look and work to encourage that person. Because hope during times of change is definitely something we all need. If you are not a Christian this morning, please come forward. Let us assist you in that. Let us help you become a Christian this morning. Let us assist you with that as you confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That you have that faith that that is the case. Let us baptize you as they did in the New Testament. Or if you're not a Christian this morning, come forward. Let us baptize you. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, come forward this morning if need be there. And let us pray for you this morning if there are things you're struggling with. Please come forward now as we stand and sing. A gentle voice of Jesus, Oh, my God. 